It is a blessing to be here and to be preaching the gospel to everybody here this morning. I hope you are just as excited to be here this morning on this very cold December morning. Uh, I think that it's a bit of a culture shock being back in my first Ohio winter after years and years away. <laughs> and it's definitely a culture shock for Caitlin, who's only been here one winter <laughs> in Ohio, uh, to have to get adjusted to this much cold. Um, but again, it is such a blessing to be able to be here, uh, to be able to preach this morning. Um, and at what a time of year, what time better than here at Christmas. Uh, I think this is definitely a time that, uh, you know, if ever there was a time that it's easier to get friends and family into the church building, it's around Christmas time. I think that's when you get the relatives, you say, come on, it's Christmas time. And everybody says, oh, I guess. And they fumble into church and all that. Uh, but today, I think, uh, if you would look at the screen, we are going to be talking about the glory brought to the king. I think uh, a very common phrase that uh, many of us may have used uh, as we sort of see this shift from Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays to now some people just not even acknowledging the time of year. Uh, you have lots of people who say the phrase, well, we need to, we need to put the Christ back into Christmas. And I think, you know, when Starbucks comes around and they put Happy Holidays on their cup again, we're all going to be up in arms and we're going to say, man, how dare they not put Merry Christmas on the cup? Don't they know what time of year it is? And we get all up in arms. And yet today we're going to talk about, we're going to look back at the very first Christmas and we're going to learn that it is not necessarily a Christmas thing that we need to put Christ back in, but we need to put the Christ back into Christian and Christian living. And so this morning, uh, before we start, uh, we are going to be, for the most part, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, if you have your Bibles there with you. And we're also going to be in Luke chapter 2, if you would like to just put a little place marker there for a little later. As we go through this morning, uh, the whole purpose of church and prayer and worship is not to bring glory to myself. It is not to bring glory to my being, but it is to bring glory to the King. And so, first and foremost, let's go ahead and we will dive right into our text in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi, or wise men, from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And I think it is important, as the Benson commentary points out, that the wise men are under no kind of doubts in their inquiry, but they are fully persuaded that Jesus the Christ has been born. And believing that this was known to everyone there and everyone around. And so they are simply going to inquire the location of this king. And so they mean no disrespect to Herod. You know, think of being the king. And somebody comes up to you from a foreign land and they say, well, we're here to see the king. And he says, well, you're looking at him. And they say, no, 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 not you. Not, not lowercase king. I'm here to see the uppercase K king. And they mean no disrespect by this. They, they thought this was well-known knowledge all throughout the land. How could you miss that right under your nose the king of the Jews has been born? And so to them this may have been astonishing. 
and we will not read it in its entirety, but as we go through, uh, for the sake of context, as we go through verse 3 through verse 8, you see this, where Herod is then very troubled, and he gathers together all these chief priests and all these scribes, and they need to figure out exactly where the Messiah will be born. And as they go through, these, uh, these scribes, these priests, in verse 6, they say, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here they are quoting what we now know as Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this is the Old Testament promise of exactly where this king would come from. And so, now that the location is known... Herod sort of crafts his own understanding of what needs to be done as he then goes to these magi and he says, man, we know exactly where this Jesus, where this king is going to be born. And I'll tell you what, I can't, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know. So what I want you to do is I want you to go and find him and you come back here and you tell me exactly where he is. And obviously we know from the text that his intention is to kill this king. Is He will not be put out of power. He will not be put out of his reign and rule. And so he desires to nip it in the bud rather early. And so now we pick up in our text here in verse 9. And it says, After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so here we see the first response that we ought to have from the glory of God. Not that one. <laughs> Just a little jumpy our clicker is. But we ought to see, we ought to experience great joy. I think we've all come to church, whether this church or another, and you have a long-time member, and you would not know that from their facial expressions. We've had many people who walk around the church, and they just, they've got an angry expression. They've, there's no joy in their life, in their person, and I think that so often when we see that, it's, it's hard to imagine, because for us, for these magi that are coming, and they aren't even there yet. They're not in the building. They just see the building, and they're ecstatic, and they're filled with this great joy. The Benson Commentary even comments that the Greek would literally be translated to, they joyed a great joy very much. <laughs> That's a very big joy. I don't think you can really express any more of how excited you are for something. And yet this is exactly how they feel when they see the location where they have traveled for so long and God has finally brought them to this place. And they get to finally be in the presence of the king. And they're ecstatic. And so the first response though for our church today is I think in our churches, in our church leaders, we have seen this shift that there is not a joy of the king that we get to see, but the joy should come to me. 
and that the joy should be of from my glory. And I think that maybe this may be a culture shock. Maybe you have you know, listened to pastors that are very biblically sound. Maybe you have listened to people who are very good at exegeting the text. But there are many, many and very predominant church leaders in the country that preach in this way. There's a pastor that not earlier this year just preached a message of it's always been in you. As he talked about your whole life, there's been this greatness that lies in you. And when we preach in this way, we rob any sort of glory from God in that where you are now is because of where you've brought yourself to. It's where you've overcome. Not what God has brought you out of. Not what God has gotten you through. But what you yourself have pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and gotten through. And then of course, you have all this gospel of God just wants you to live your best life now. He wants you to be incredibly healthy. He wants you to be incredibly wealthy. And if you're not doing that, your faith is lacking. And yet, that's not what we see in Scripture. We see that this glory, this honor, this doesn't come to me. The joy should not be from myself. The songs that we sing are not so that I may be filled with this great joy of how good I am. I think something that I love the most about the hymns that we sing at Christmas time is it's so glorifying to God. I think that as we go through, and just as we're talking about today, one of my favorites is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That very next line, Glory to the newborn King. I think that even the modern day worship music that has come about can sometimes be so focused on myself and focused on what God will do for me in the future, not what He has already done for me past tense. And so, moving forward, we see that this is not the end of what the wise men experience. Then we go on in verse 11, and we see the next response. And it says, After coming into the house, they finally arrived in the building itself, in the house itself. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here we see our second response. A humble worship of the king. As they've now come into this place, and we know that it must not be the same night that Jesus was born, because we see here that it says that they are in a house, not in the stable, not in this manger, but they have now upgraded a little bit into a house. And so they come in, and their immediate response is they see him, and they fall to the ground, and they worship him. And it is important to point out because although we may have a lot of cathedrals around, as long as we have a lot of this presence, it must be noted that in verse 11, it is mentioned. We'll read it once more. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. The worship was not the Magi's glorifying themselves. The worship did not belong to Mary. All reverence, all honor, and all glory was to the king. And that same way applies to us. That just as Pastor Craig mentioned last week, as we've been reading through 1 Corinthians, 
that we have one mediator, which is Christ. And so I have no need to give my worship to anybody else. I have no need to give my worship to saints that have come before. Although I am very gracious for Paul and his work, although I am very gracious for Peter and his work, I have no need to worship them. In the same way, they did not desire any sort of worship. You think even of Paul as he arrived in Rome and all these people were giving sacrifices to him. And they were giving sacrifices and they thought that these were the embodiments of Zeus. They said, well, this person has come to us. We must give sacrifices to him. And he said, stop. What, what, what are you worshiping me for? I, I'm not coming here so and preaching this gospel to you so that you can worship me. You're missing the whole point. The glory is not mine, but it's God's. In the same way that every time that we stand behind a pulpit, that it's not glory that I so desire for myself, but that God may receive all glory and all honor and all praise. And yet, we look at this and how often when we read through Scripture, when we hear preaching of God's Word, when we hear these great hymns that speak such great biblical truths, does it bring us to our knees in prayer and in worship of God? Not in sort of this new age, charismatic, I must run up and down the aisle and fall and roll over the ground and just scream in worship to God, but a reverent fall to my knees and realize who the king of my life is. And yet, so often we just sort of skip over this. We sort of miss this. Reading scripture becomes a checklist on our day. And maybe even so that we say, oh man, I didn't read my Bible today. That's okay. I'll hit it doubly hard tomorrow. As if it's some sort of spiritual workout that I say, man, I forgot to do this today. It's okay. I'll do it tomorrow and I'll be twice as good. But this is something that we shouldn't go to sort of just desire to see, you know, all of these things in us. But it should all be to read for God's glory. So many times we sort of read the text and we desire to put ourselves into the story. We say, well, I'm just David and I'm just battling my Goliaths. And no. <laughs> and yet we so often we read scripture in this way and we try and sort of bring glory to ourselves, whether implicit or explicitly. And yet when we read through, we're reading the entire story of God's story. It's not our story. It's not for me to steal and say, well, this now immediately applies to me. This is all about myself. This is the story of God and His glory. Because He is the only one that is truly deserving of this glory. Even Paul, as he spoke in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For am I now seeking to favor men, or am I seeking the favor of God? Or am I striving to please men? He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And in this portion of the text, he's speaking directly to people who have distorted the gospel. He says, not that there is another gospel, but these men are, uh, are trying to take the true gospel and change it. And here he's saying, well, the only reason I, I would do such a thing is because I'm trying to bring glory to man. 
but I have no desire to bring glory to man. He says, if I were trying to do that, I would not be a bondservant. I would not be enslaved to Christ. I would not be enslaved to to His righteousness. And so throughout all of this, we must ask ourselves of, what is my desire in coming to church? Because although, and I am not saying that never in our lives should this bring us joy, that would conflict with my very first point. There should be joy. But the joy should not be found within myself, but within God. And so, as we read through the Scriptures, it should bring us joy. It may bring us teary-eyed as we read through our sinfulness. And as we read through Paul's epistles and even Old Testament Scriptures. As we see just how lost we are. But it should bring us tears of joy as we realize the glory and the righteousness that has been given to us by the grace of God. And so, thirdly, we see a third thing here. And it's back in verse 11 one more time. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, of myrrh. The third thing as we witness and become aware of God's glory, it should lead us to desire to bring gifts to the king. And this is a very odd thing for us. For those of you that are parents and may have had baby showers in the past, uh, if they were to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you would be very confused. Gold obviously just being a precious mineral. Uh, frankincense being exactly that is it, it is incense. That is what it was used for. And myrrh being used to embalm corpses. That would be a very strange gift for your, your Aunt Susan to bring for the new baby. You'd be very confused. Maybe next time that Uncle Frank gives you an Applebee's gift card and a pair of socks for Christmas, you'll be a bit more grateful. That is not frankincense and myrrh. But these were not strange gifts, especially for the time. In fact, we see in Scripture even, in 1 Samuel, in 1 Kings, it was expected when you were visiting royalty that you would bring a gift worthy of their stature. You would bring them these gifts. And so, note that this is not monetary gifts per se, but these have other uses, and it's all simply to bring, to be brought for God's glory. I think that here we see that this is not some sort of last second, you know, so often we as just humble people, let's be honest for a moment, that when Christmas time comes, I'm sure there are many of us who have said, just as my co-workers have said this week, I can't believe we're two weeks away and I haven't bought anything yet. And you know that the longer you wait, the less likely it is that you're going to get something good. This was not the case with the Magi. They were not going to ye old target and scrounging the aisles for what may remain so that they can bring it to the king. This was an anticipated trip. 
This was not a spur of the moment. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we forgot. We slept through. The stars moved. We've got to go. This was something that they have planned. This is something in their hearts that they have committed to these gifts that they will bring. And again, this is not all for us. This is not all monetary gifts. But this goes into how we are serving. How we are choosing to worship God. How we are choosing to do all of these things for the Lord. And yet, for some of us, it's sort of an afterthought to bring God these things. But certainly, though, in our culture, not for myself and not for my family or my friends. Because I will always remember to give to them. At this point in time, uh, I was just reading a website uh, on Black Friday shopping. If anybody does Black Friday shopping. This is not for conviction purposes. This is just, this is just what I read. So, Adobe Digital Insights seems to show that consumers stocked up before Thanksgiving this year. Spending has been up throughout the month with 19 days where consumers spent more than $3 billion. $3 billion. And the only reason, as the website goes on to explain, that it's so spread out, because typically that would be spent in five days. Almost a billion dollars a day spent on buying gifts and buying things for people around us. That would It was only spread out because things have been so backed up in the country this year that if it were not the case, it probably would have been exactly the same. And so we, we, we give until it hurts, we'll go hundreds of dollars over budget for Christmas for the kids. And yet we say, well, well God, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot to factor in offerings this, this, this month. I'll, I'll give you what remains. There's no forethought to the things that we will give God. When it comes to serving opportunities, we say, Lord, I know that we've been announcing this for months. And I knew that this was coming up, but it slipped my mind. I'm sorry. I can't, I, can't, I can't show up to serve this month. And these things become an afterthought. Giving God glory becomes an afterthought to us. And this is truly an issue. Because as we just saw, before they've even arrived, they've joyed this great joy very much. And yet... So often, giving God glory becomes almost a chore for us. And it's almost something that we drag our feet. I think it's very fitting that God so often calls us His children. Because that is very much sometimes how we act. Where, as we just had some friends over last night and we were talking about, you know, worshiping the Lord in uh, the verse where Jesus speaks on, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we sort of really talked in depth about this verse and that uh, you as parents know that if your child does not obey you, that does not affect your love for them, but it does show you how they view you. In the same way that we so often, God's love for us as believers is unchanging. It is not our works that gets us through into the gates of heaven. It is not our acts that we do. It is not our giving that grows us some sort of favor with God, but it is all the grace of God. But even still, 
Christ has said, but you will know because they will obey as a child would obey. And parents, you know the frustration that comes when your child just won't listen. You say, please, stop. (laughs) And you're almost pleading with them. And how foolish of a parent you feel when you are pleading with your five-year-old in the middle of the store as they're just so frustrated. And you're saying, please, just stop. You know, how foolish. And you have the other parents that are walking past you. And they're saying, man, hmm, my kid wouldn't be acting like that. But so often, this is exactly how we act. That giving this full glory to God, we sort of want to keep just a little bit of it. We just want to keep just a small little piece. If I can just keep this little bit of glory, if I can do this great thing for God, just so I can make one little Facebook post and say, but did you see what I did? But did you see what I did? Sure, God was working and God was moving and God did everything. Did you see what I did? Did you see that I was a part of that? And so often, this is our attitude in worship. This is our attitude in giving to God. It is this, give so that I may receive. It is, And we see this in this modern sort of prosperity gospel that has leaked in. Where it is, if you sow your seed, God will reap you a harvest. It's not why we give. That's not why these magi gave. They gave because they knew who they were giving it to. They didn't give for what Jesus would one day do for them. They gave because the Word had just become flesh. They gave because God was with them. They said, man, this is a big deal. And I've got to do something. And the best that they could think to do was fall on their face in worship and say, this is nothing compared to what He's just come from. But I want you to know that we want to give these to Him because I know exactly who that is. I know exactly what He's going to do. And I want you to know that I love this kid already. And so, there's a fourth response though. If you'll flip with me quickly. To Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There was a sense of urgency. They were quick. This wasn't a, let's get the sheep together, let's round them up, we'll, we'll do something to keep them here. It was, we've got to go. 
we have to go and see what has happened. And it says, So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. In verse 20, this is important. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. The fourth and final response that we see that as we read through Scripture, as we see and are hearing the Word of God preached and we can read it with our own eyes, there ought to be a lasting praise of God's glory. They don't go on this quick venture to see Jesus and say, huh, that is something, and walk straight out the door in no way changed, in no way caring for what they had just witnessed. They leave glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. I think... So often, we can fall in this habit of reading through Scripture and singing these praises and coming to church. And when we leave, it's almost like nothing had happened. Uh, a, a great apologist and preacher that I enjoy very much uh, named Justin Peters uh, has talked about the Word of God and that we have so many people who claim that they have heard the voice of God and they speak this new sort of revelation to people. And yet, we don't have a need for these things because we already have God's Word. I have no need for some sort of new revelation. I have no need for some sort of new word that God may speak uh, to steal His own joke. If you want to hear... God's, if you want to see God's Word, read your Bible. If you want to hear God's Word, read it audibly. I don't have, I'm not going to all of a sudden hear some new thing from God. In the same way that for our loved ones, I would hope that they are not going to come up to you this Christmas and talk about how the heavenly host, just as it did with the shepherds, appeared in their room and spoke to them of the glory of God. If they do, get them help. <laughs> But for us, there is a way that they can still see the glory of God outside of His Word. They see and know that God ought to be glorified through us, glorifying and praising God. Not reading His Word at face value with no sort of diving deeper to find some sort of application to change how I ought to live to uh, behold God's glory even more, but I read through it as if it's any other book, and I close it, and I walk away, and I say, man, that was good. I don't read through the text to find some cute little phrase that I want to post on social media and say, isn't this nice? We read through this so that way we may behold the glory of God. And we even know this through the words of John, Christ's cousin. 
as he spoke in Luke chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, Now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, hold on. I may be preaching and I may be baptizing. This is not for me. I don't do this for my benefit. I don't do this to behold, so that you may behold my power. Because somebody's coming after me. And he's going to be so much greater than I will ever dream of being. And even his famous words in John chapter 3 verse 30. As they're coming to him and his disciples are coming to him. They're saying, John, what's going on? All these people are going over to this Jesus guy. And in John chapter 3 verse 30 he says, He must increase and I must decrease. As I seek to give God glory, I have to decrease from this situation. Because that glory does not belong to me. As we have just saying that we have brought glory to the newborn king, he is no longer just a newborn king. We are giving glory to, as Revelation would call him, the king of kings. This is not just some guy who has been born and lived a good life. This is a man who was born with the sole purpose of fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, living in total perfection that I and no one here on this earth could ever dream of living to fulfill the mission that he was brought to do. And that was prepare the way for all those his father had known from the beginning of the foundations of the world must be saved. And so, this morning, we must examine our lives. When I come to this house of God, when I read through God's Word, when I sing these praises to Him, is the glory for myself or do I read this text, worship in these songs, do all of this in my life, and say, all glory be to God. I don't deserve any of it. He has done everything. He has already given to me, and I will give everything from here on out back to Him. So this morning, 